You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Last week we, we started our new study on the book of Ephesians, uh, and we only got through verses 1 through 2, right? And so last week we were talking about how Ephesians, the whole book, uh, teaches us that God wills for dead sinners to become faithful saints in Christ who impact their cities as a result of his grace and peace. And so we looked a little bit at Paul's salvation. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Um, we talked about some of the background of Paul and how God had absolutely willed for Paul to become a Christian, to be exposed to the gospel, to uh, understand his, his need for a savior, to understand who Christ was. Remember, we talked about how he was asking who Jesus was even on that road. Uh, who, who are you, Lord? And, and now he is proclaiming Christ Jesus to be Lord in this passage. It says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we talked about uh, these people in Ephesus, who they were. Uh, we talked about their salvation resulting in them being saints, even though um, they're sinful, even though they are in need of a savior, uh, they, are, they are pronounced as saints because of the work of Jesus Christ in their life, right? And so uh, we saw also the challenges that one would face living in Ephesus, trying to be faithful, trying to be holy. And um, we said that Paul highlights the fact that as saints in Ephesus, they're there to be set apart, to make a difference, to, to be different. And so um, in, 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 in application for us, uh, just talking about the, the difference that we want to be in our communities, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, that our set-apartness ought to point people uh, to Jesus. We looked at some identity factors last week that we can claim as Christians. I told you this book is heavy on our identity in Christ, and so I want to highlight these truths for you every week when we see them. Last week, we saw that every Christian is a saint, every Christian is faithful, every Christian is in Christ, and every Christian is residing in an earthly location to make an eternal impact. And so um, as a point of application last week, I challenged you to make a list of uh, unholy norms that you encounter in your environment. So like uh, thinking about how people typically act at your workplace or typically act in your neighborhood or in your extended family, like what are some unhealthy or unholy norms that people just accept and how can you be different? How can you be set apart? How can you proclaim the work of Christ in your life in, in, in uh, ways that communicate his grace and peace. And so that was kind of our application last week. We jump into verse three today. And I wanna read to you um, really all the way through verse 14. Uh, a lot of people teach this whole passage in one Sunday. Um, I just think it's too much to try to do that today. So we're, we're not gonna go all the way through verse 14. We're only gonna go through verse six. But what's interesting is that in the Greek language, Verse 3 through verse 14 is all one sentence. Um, it's 202 words, all one sentence in the Greek language. So um, that's why it gets taught a lot of times as one, uh, one sermon, but we're going to break it up and, and only teach part of the sentence today. But we're going to read the whole thing real quick. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. See, that's a lot. Like, there's no way we could cover all that this morning. We would, we would be here far longer than you anticipated. So, uh, we're going to cut it into chunks over the next couple of weeks and see what God has to teach us. Um, specifically today, we're going to look at this summary sentence. It says, the deeper we journey into theology, the more worshipful we ought to become as we learn to rest more and more in the sovereign plans of our good Father. The deeper we journey into theology, the more worshipful we ought to become as we learn to rest more and more in the sovereign plans of our good Father. For our kids, the more we learn about God, the more we should want to worship Him. The more we should want to worship Him. Part of the reason that I wanted to study this passage or this chapter or really this whole book is that this is one of the, the first books that I really started to study personally uh, when I really began to learn how to study the Bible. And I only got through chapter two. Um, and then I got steered away and uh, got hired and, and was doing ministry and teaching through other things. So I never made it through the whole book. Um, but this chapter one made such an impression on me, particularly starting in verse three, where it talks about these spiritual blessings. And so we're going to look at some of that today. Um, but, but really what uh, this passage is maybe known for is some of the confusing words and some of the implications of those words, the idea of being chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, this concept of being predestined to certain end goals. And so we're going we're gonna to try to tackle that today as well. But I think what's really important in looking at this chapter 3 or verse 3 through verse 14 is how the, the section is bookended by praise uh, commands uh, or, or the call to worship. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Blessings to him, blessing and praise and honor and worship to him uh, in response to what's gonna be seen here. Um, in verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12 uh, says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then in verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This passage is certainly one that's... Um, wrapped up in the concept of worship uh, for God's glory. Uh, and, and it really highlights for us how our salvation is something that we don't deserve, that it's something that God has lavishly given to us out of his grace and out of his mercy. And so we're gonna see that today. Um, it, it's, it's a situation where Paul is really uh, in a praise-centered culture where we're prone to talk about our favorite sports team, to talk about our favorite stores that we like to shop from, to talk about our favorite products. 
Um, we kind of attach ourselves to them at some of those things, and we praise those things, and we try to draw others to praise those things as well, right? If you're an Apple iPhone type of guy, you, you talk about the, the benefits of having an iPhone, and then you come up against others who use other styles of phones, and maybe you get into a war of words about which phone is better, or sports teams, my team's better than your team, our recruiting class is better than your recruiting class, right? We, we, we are in a culture where we tend to praise the things that we value, the things that we love, and this is Paul's uh, attempt to praise God for who he is and to draw us into that attitude of praise towards him. Um, the big picture, I think, that we see, like I said, in this passage is worship, not dissection. So we are going to see some of these key words chosen and predestined and what to do with some of those words. But really, I think it's so important for us to see that this passage is all about the worship of God, not so much a dissection of certain theologies and, and, and certain teachings. It's, it's Paul being wrapped up and overwhelmed with who God is and what God has done through salvation and the, the worship that he deserves for that. In talking about salvation, you see him talking about eternity past, like how God was working and planning things before the world was even formed, right? Before he ever created, God had plans in place. And then you see him carrying those plans through into the eternity future, right? This idea of us having an inheritance, verse 11 says. The idea of us having this inheritance and him holding it until we can take possession of it in the future. And so we're seeing Paul highlighting the fact that our salvation starts in eternity past and certainly extends into eternity future. Psalm 90 verse two talks about our God being a God who is from everlasting to everlasting, right? Um, what do we do uh, with, with some of the difficult words here? How do we process through this? I told you last week um, that my time in, in Bible college at Liberty was challenged early on with individuals who were studying some of these doctrines, studying some of these words, coming to conclusions about them and then kind of spreading them at the lunch table, right? Like, here's what we believe about God. Here's what we believe about his sovereignty. Here's what we believe about salvation and uh, being chosen and elect and predestined. And uh, I was overwhelmed by it, uh, overwhelmed by some of these concepts and some of these doctrines and didn't really know what to do and became very defensive about it, became very defensive about how they were talking about God and salvation. And um, what it did was it drove me to God's word it drove me to my own personal study. It drove me to understanding who God is in a deeper way, which was a positive of some of those prideful discussions. Pride on both of our parts. Pride on the other group, pride on my part, right? But it drove me to God's word to better understand who he is. And some of you may are still processing through what it means to be chosen, what it means to be predestined. I wanted us to kind of see that we have some options as far as what to do with words like this, right? Like these aren't made up words that, you know, a particular denomination has created or a particular group of theologians has developed, right? These are Bible words. These are Bible words. And that was kind of my first step in, in my own personal study was realizing the words that I heard at that lunch table today are words that I do read in my Bible. And I need to do something with those. I need to understand what those words mean and what these concepts are, right? And so I had to move away from number one, which was ignoring them, right? We can read through passages like this. We can come across these words and try to ignore them and pretend like they're not there, right? The other option is to try to tweak them, to try to make them mean something that we're comfortable with, right? For whatever reasons, maybe we're uncomfortable with what they could mean. And so we try to, we try to tweak them, 
right? We try to say, well, you know, God knew what was going to happen, and so therefore God predestined those things to happen because he kind of knew it in advance, right? The third option would be to embrace these words and to embrace them for the purposes that Paul really even mentions them, Um, to recognize that these words are an antidote for our depravity. Let me say that again. These words are an antidote for our depravity. Think about what the Bible says about who we are as human beings, right? The Bible describes us as individuals who are dead in our trespasses and sins. We see this in Ephesians 2, 1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. If you read, if you think back to our study in Genesis, way back in um, Genesis chapter 6, right before the flood, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that God noticed, God observed, God looked at, God recognized that man's heart was only bent towards evil, right? It was bent towards evil, that the sin that had entered into the world, that had tainted the offspring of Adam and Eve, had resulted in a group of people who were only bent towards evil. Romans chapter 3 verse 11 describes us as a people group who are uh, mired in a situation where we don't desire God, where we don't seek after God. Look what John chapter 6 verse 44 says. John chapter 6 verse 44. It says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. No one can come to me unless the Father draws me. So what we admit from other passages of Scripture, right, is that mankind's dead in sin, no desire for God, and can't change that without divine help, that that God has to step in and intercede and change our hearts for us to respond to him. Now, there's great mystery in these words. There's great mystery in understanding how this plays out. And we're going to talk about some of the tension between um, understanding God choosing things and determining things and how man is still responsible for his own actions. Um, But there's great mystery in these words, but there's also great clarity, I think, that we see in today's passage too. And I think we have to do both. We have to admit the mystery, and then we have to also affirm the clarity. I put in my notes that anytime you see mystery in Scripture, it should be a cue to start worshiping, right? That, That we've encountered a God who we don't fully understand, who does things that we don't fully comprehend, Right? And so it's a cue to start worshiping a God who uh, exists outside of our comprehension a lot of times. Right? Um, and it's okay, to, it's okay to admit that we don't fully understand this, right? Because there's other things that we admit that we don't fully understand that we embrace wholeheartedly. Right? Think about we just came out of Christmas season. We try to explain to our kids that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Right? He's 100% God and 100% man. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to a, a math teacher. You can't have two two things that are 100% of the same thing, right? Fully God, fully man, united as the God-man. We embrace it, right? We embrace that. Uh, we talk about how we got the Bible, right? Did, did God write the Bible? Yes. Did men write the Bible? Yes, right? God divinely inspired individuals to write, write his word, and he used their personalities, he used their writing styles, and yet in the midst of all that, it remains his words, his divinely chosen words, right? There's mystery there. How did that work? How did, how did, how did that happen? Did the, did the authors know that that was happening? 
We don't know all that, but we embrace it, right? And so we can embrace the idea here that God has determined certain things to happen and yet still holds man responsible for his actions and his choices. Um, putting my notes kind of based on the experience that I had, Paul didn't use the words chosen and predestined in Ephesians 1 so that a group of seminary students could sit around a table and boast of all they've come to know of God's sovereignty. Instead, Paul used those words to reassure Christians who would inevitably encounter seasons of doubt that God's love predates all of our best accomplishments and outlasts all of our worst failures. Just think about the implication of that sentence for a minute, right? Paul doesn't introduce the idea of God doing things in eternity past to give conversation to a bunch of people sitting around talking about God's word to where they can become prideful about what they see in God's word, right? It wasn't meant to be a source of argumentation where we fight about what we see about who God is and what he does in salvation. Instead, I believe Paul's using these words to reassure us that we don't come to him and get saved because of our good works, right? We're not saved because of our performance and therefore we don't become unsaved because of our performance, right? What he's trying to help us see is that God's love and God's plan to save predates all of your great good works, right? The list of things that you may try to in secret say, these are the things that I've done for God. These are the things that make me better than my coworker or my neighbor, right? These are the things that make me valuable in God's eyes. Paul's saying, God already loved you before all that, right? God was already working for you before anything you did. And he has determined to make you holy and blameless and an inheritor of all of these things that he's promised, right? Which means that his plan started before your performance and it will outlast all of your failures, right? Because even as we come to Christ, we don't become perfect, right? We still sin, we still fail, we still do things that we shouldn't do, we still treat people in ways that we shouldn't. The assurance that comes from this passage, though, is that our performance doesn't determine God's love for us. It was in place well before any of our successes and any of our failures. It's interesting, too, when you start to think about it, how really the Bible is built on this concept of election. The idea of God choosing a people to display his glory is not something that's new, right? Uh, we, we talked about some of these concepts on our very first church service here at Sovereign Hope. Almost 10 years ago, uh, September 2011, we were down the street at the Freeman Sasser building. We opened our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we began to read in verse uh, 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Paul says, I know that you're part of God's people. I know that he's chosen you because I shared the gospel with you and you responded And I know that you really responded because your life became one of imitation. 
It became one of holiness and blamelessness, right? And it's not something that's new in Scripture. Think about some of the other choices that God has made, some of the decisions that God has made to display his glory. In um, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God chooses Abraham out of all the other individuals on the earth at the time, chooses Abraham to be a blessing, to, to make a great nation from him. Right? God chooses Israel. And look at the ways that God describes his choice of Israel. Sometimes we may mistakenly think that Israel's chosen because of obedience or because of faithfulness. And yet Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Verse 7, it's not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God says, the reason that I've chosen you, Israel, is because I've chosen to love you, not because you've done anything, not because you're special, not because you're great. Right? I've chosen this and I've chosen to develop a plan with you. God chooses the Gentiles. I love this passage in Acts chapter 13 because I try to place myself in the crowd here. Acts chapter 13, verse 48. Barnabas and Paul and others are trying to get the gospel to the, the Jewish people, but the Jewish people are rejecting it. And it says in Acts 13, verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Right? So Paul says, hey, no big deal that you Jewish people aren't listening to me because God actually determined that you not listening to us would lead to salvation for the Gentiles and the Gentiles are gonna help get the gospel to the ends of the earth, right? And then I look what, look what verse 48 says. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Right? I get this picture of the Gentiles listening in. And he says, we're gonna start using the Gentiles now. And then the Gentiles are like, yes, yes, like use us. Like we're ready, we're ready to respond to this. We hear this, we want Jesus, right? We wanna, we wanna live for Jesus, we wanna follow Jesus. He says that all those who were appointed to eternal life believed, right? God had chosen these Gentiles before the foundations of the world and had assured them that the gospel would come to them and they would be saved. What we see in this, this passage in Ephesians is God's love, his sovereignty, his control is outflowing from his love. He's chosen and determined to make sure that things happen for his glory and for his honor. And, and honestly, once you start to understand these concepts of, uh, of his choosing and predestination and all these things, you can't unsee it from all these other passages in Scripture. Right? Like it's not that we come to certain passages and see these things. It's once you see that God is in control and he's working things for the good of his people, you can't unsee it from all the other passages in Scripture. All right, that was a really, really long introduction. Now 
we have to really get into these verses as quickly as we can. So let's look at our notes. Number one, rejoice over your spiritual blessings. Rejoice over your spiritual blessings. Look what it says. Bless me, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let's look what that means. Number one, it means that his blessings are comprehensive. It means the blessings apply to every single Christian. So if you're a Christian here this morning, this verse applies to you. This verse is speaking to you. It's saying that you have every spiritual blessing. Now, not every earthly blessing, not every materialistic blessing, right? right? We didn't all drive up in the same cars. We didn't all come from same, the same houses, right? We don't have all the same material blessings. But here's the thing. If you were a Christian this morning, you drove up with the same spiritual blessings. Now, what are the spiritual blessings that we're talking about? Well, Paul highlights a lot of these in this uh, passage, 3 through 14. He's talked about God's grace and God's adoption and God's redemption, right? This inheritance that we enjoy, right? These are spiritual riches, and we don't, we don't get more of these as we become better Christians, right? We had the benefit of baptizing Finn Conaway a couple of weeks ago, right? Finn is in first grade at Trinity. His dad is a deacon here at our church. He's a small group leader, right? Been a Christian for a long time. Man, the moment that Finn got saved, the moment he crossed from death to life, he possessed everything that his dad did right? All the spiritual blessings belong to Finn, just like they belong to Bobby. Even though Bobby's got years of of maturing faith ahead of Finn, right? Even though Bobby has served faithfully in the church for so long, they got the same spiritual blessings, right? It's not based on age. It's not based on maturing faith. Every Christian has every spiritual blessing. Finn's adopted into God's family just like Bobby is, right? Finn has God as an adopted father just like Bobby does, It's not contingent on Finn showing forth some type of fruit. He has it. Every, every uh, Christian has every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's comprehensive. Number two, it's also exhaustive. The distribution includes every blessing. Not some of them, but all of them. And it's all rooted in Christ, right? Like we have these spiritual blessings because we are viewed as being in Christ, Christ's work secures our blessing. That's why Finn can enjoy all these things and Bobby can enjoy all these things because it's all based on the work of Christ, right? In Christ, we have all of these spiritual blessings and it meets every need that we have. Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four, verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, right? Every need that we have finds its fulfillment, finds its provision in these riches, these blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. So we can rejoice over this today. Why should we praise God? Why should we bless God? Because every Christian gets every blessing, right? We rejoice over these spiritual blessings. Number two, we therefore can then rest in our Father's predetermined plans. We rest in our Father's predetermined plans. So he goes on in Ephesians chapter one, not only should we bless God for every spiritual blessing being given to every Christian, but verse four says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
In love, he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We can rest in our Father's predetermined plans. How do we do that? Number one, his plans were predetermined before time. All right, we see this in verse four, that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. There was something that God was doing. There was something that was working itself out in this Trinitarian relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where things were determined to happen before time began. And again, it's not meant to divide us. It's not meant to separate us or to disunify who we are in the body. It's meant to give us security. Now, I think we very clearly see in Scripture the security that comes from understanding that God has chosen us, But then we also very clearly see through Scripture that there's responsibility on man's part for what he does with the gospel, right? I I think um, John chapter 6 really tries to perfectly balance and merge these two ideas. Look what John chapter 6 says, verse 37. It says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. This is Jesus talking. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Right? All that the Father gives to me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. See, there's this idea here, we, we see both sides of it, that, that God has chosen before the foundations of the world to save a group of people for his glory, for his purposes. And yet, our, our humanness immediately reacts to that and says, well, that means that some people can't get saved. Some people can't come, right? And and Jesus follows this up by saying, anybody who comes to me is not gonna be cast out, right? Whoever comes to me will, will come and be accepted, right? And all that God has determined to do so with will come. But we know all throughout scripture how man's held accountable for his choices and his decisions, right? We saw that very clearly through the book of Revelation as we get towards the end of time where man stands before God and is held accountable for his choices and his decisions. Why is, why is uh, Paul introducing such a difficult topic here? Why is he introducing these, these hard words for us to understand? It's to inform us that all of us who have come to know Christ are here on purpose. Let me say that again. This idea of him introducing the idea that God chose us before the foundation of the world, it's to help us understand that all of us who have come to know Christ are here on purpose. We didn't get here by accident, right? And, and, and we're not gonna leave either because that's how God works. When he starts a good work, he finishes the good work, right? So there's, there's security because here's what I want you to see. I want you to rest in the fact that you're here, you're claiming to be a Christian, but you also know in the back of your mind, I don't know if I'm as good of a Christian as somebody sitting in this room, right? For you to rest in the fact that your salvation was determined before you were even born, right? Like like God was working for your good before you were ever born and his plans are to make you holy and blameless in spite of your failures last week, in spite of the failures that are coming this week, right? We can rest in that security. We can rest, we can rest in knowing that his love, his plans for us predate our greatest feats and our worst failures. We didn't get in and we aren't getting kicked out due to our performance, His choice of us was before time as we know it and was based solely on his love and his purposes. It shouldn't cast doubt on whether all are welcome. All may come, 
Here's the message of the Bible. Come to Jesus, and when you come, thank him for bringing you, right? Thank him for doing the work, just like he did in Paul, where Paul was on a mission to kill Christians, and Jesus stepped in and said, not a chance. We are done with this. We're done with this activity. He opens his eyes, the scales fall off, and he responds to the gospel. And that's the work of God, and that's the work of God in every single one of our lives that's here today. We all have similar testimonies. Even though we didn't see a bright, shining light on a road, probably, with Jesus talking through it, there was a point in time in your life where the, where the eyes got opened, right? And I remember it was for me coming out of a church service, coming out of a Sunday school class where I had a conversation with my mom on a Sunday afternoon, and I said, I need to be saved. Like, I need Jesus. I am a sinner. In spite of all of my efforts to be a good five-year-old, I need Jesus, right? And and my life was forever changed when that happened, right? And God did something in a five-year-old's heart that I couldn't explain, and I certainly couldn't engineer myself, right? Most five-year-olds have have other things on their mind when their Sunday school teacher's trying to talk to them, right? It's all the Sunday school teacher can do is to hoard those five-year-olds up and say, pay attention for just a few minutes before we play with the toys and get a snack, right? And for me as a five-year-old, God got a hold of my heart and said, you need Jesus, right? We can come to Jesus and we can say, thank you. Thank you for bringing me to you. His plans were predetermined before time. And number two, his plans lead to specific ends, right? We're chosen, but we're chosen for something. We are chosen to be holy and blameless. We are predestined to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, Salvation has a purpose, and its purpose is to adopt us into God's family, but not just to leave us in that state, to conform us to the image of his son. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Right? He's moving us to being like Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We were created, we were saved for good works, not by our good works, but for good works. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So way back before, before time even began, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit decide we're gonna save a group of people after we create the world. And they're gonna be a people that are rescued from sin. And they are going to be radically changed to where good works are now produced in their life, to where they become holy and blameless. Those, those two concepts, holy and blameless, it has, something, it has to do with something being removed and something supplied, right? The blameless idea, we're not that. We're not blameless. We're full of blame. We have all kinds of sin in our life. The Bible, though, removes our blame through the work of Jesus, Right? but doesn't just take the sin away. It gives us righteousness. Salvation is the gifting of Jesus's perfection to us so that we can be holy, right? So we're holy and blameless because of the work of Jesus. We now therefore have all the rights and privileges that come with being God's children. We enjoy God as father and we enjoy other Christians as brothers and sisters. And growing up, some of y'all know growing up, um, our family was friends with uh, Andrea Shorting's family. She was Andrea Corley at the time. And there, there came to be known this concept of what we call Corley land, right? Because Corley land was different than Vincent land, 
right? Vacations were different with Corley Land. Um, toys were different with Corley Land. Like, home was different than Corley Land. They had a pool. I remember, it's funny because Andrea and I laugh about this. I remember when Andrea's family got new carpet in their house, right? And it's probably the ugliest carpet you could imagine today because it had like a bluish, greenish, tealish combination all in one, right? But it was new carpet. And I remember going over to their house and seeing their new carpet and thinking, we ain't ever getting new carpet in my house, right? Like my dad's a pastor of a small church. Like, like Corley land was like where you kind of longed to be, right? And sometimes I would daydream and imagine, what would it like to be like to, to, to be in Corley land, right? Like what if I, what if I ever had to uh, be adopted into Corley land, right? Like I, I used to dream about like what Corley land would be like, right? It pales in comparison to what being in the heavenly realms, enjoying every spiritual blessing in the family of God is, right? Think about this concept of him being our father, right? Like I, I wanna emphasize a couple things to you here. Number one, he's not, he's not our earthly father. So for those of us that have had difficult situations with our earthly father, he obviously is greater than that. For those of us that have had great relationships with our earthly father, he even supersedes that, right? He's not our earthly father. But he's also not a foster father, right? Think about the the concept of adoption and fostering in our culture, right? Fostering is a situation where a kid needs a family, comes into a new family, right? But there's no guarantees that that situation will last. Sometimes the kid's taken out and put back in his um, biological family, right? Sometimes the foster family decides, and like what's happening here, the, 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 the behavior or the, the issues just too great for our family, we can't move forward with adoption, right? Sometimes we treat God like he's a foster parent, right? That, he, that he's taken us, but it's temporary, it's conditional, he might give us back, right? Like if we don't figure out the holy blameless thing, he might just say, eh, let's, let's try somebody else, right? He's our adopted father, right? It's signed, sealed, delivered, right? There is no going back on it. There is no changing it. There's nowhere to push us back to because he claimed us, right? He claimed us and he adopted us. What do we get with a heavenly father? I thought about at least application for my kids, which are over in the other room. What do they get in their heavenly father once they become a Christian, right? My kids are still working through the gospel and coming to an understanding of what it means to be a Christian. So I compare the heavenly father to, to what they've experienced as an earthly father. What they're gonna get is a dad who's never sleepy, right? right? He's never forgetful. He's never grumpy. He's never uninterested. He's never powerless. And he's never unsure of what to do, right? Like this, is, this is earthly experience for my kids, right? There are times when I come home from work, they've come home from school and they wanna play and dad just don't have the energy tonight. I'm sleepy, right? Like, I can't give you my best right now. Or I'm forgetful, things that they asked me to do, uh, things that my wife asked me to do for them, and I just forget. I forget to deliver. I forget to come through. I forget to provide in some ways. There's times when I'm grumpy or just uninterested in the things that they're valuing at the time. There's times when I'm powerless to fix something for them or unsure of what to do, what they need, right? And our Heavenly Father knows all these things and is far better than all of these things. And we get adoption into his family and it removes really all the fear in our life. Romans chapter eight, verse 15. We're almost done. Romans chapter eight, verse 15. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Just thinking about this concept of fear and the security that comes from Ephesians and being adopted into God's family. I was putting Mally to bed the other night. Maybe it was Friday night. We let Mally sleep in the boys' room on the weekends. Um, she loves being in there with, with Abram and AJ. And so she always makes a pallet on the floor. And so I'm laying next to her, trying to get her to go to sleep. And she kind of looks up at me with her eyes. And, you know, she, she just, she's got some fear in there. And she's like, Dad, can you, can you shut the closet door? Can you shut the closet door? She has a fear of whatever lives in the closet door or behind the closet door, um, you know, at night. And, and I just looked at her and I said, baby, I'll close it when I'm no longer in here with you, right? It doesn't need to be closed right now because I'm laying right here with you. Like, you don't have to worry about what's in the closet. But when I leave, I'll close the door for you, right? And she said, okay. And she closed her eyes and she snuggled up next to me and she went right to sleep, right? And it made me think as I was studying this, I'm limited in my ability to be with my kids around the clock, right? So when I did leave the room, I did shut the door for her. I didn't want her to wake up at night and be scared. We have a father who stays with us though, right? So when there's, when there's things that we would like for him to close or remove or change in our life, right? And we look at him and say, God, can you do this? He looks back at us and says, you don't need me to do that because I'm here with you, right? Like, like you are secure in me and, and I'm your father, Right? Even though it's an adoption, like you have inherited all the rights and privileges that come with me being your dad, right? And you don't have to fear. You don't have to fall back into a state of fear, right? You have been saved and you have been moved into a state where you don't have to fear. So the door's gonna stay open. The closet's not gonna get closed, but I'm gonna lay right here with you, right? And he never leaves our side. And he's saying to us this morning, I've loved you with an everlasting love before I even made the world. I called you my own and you are mine no matter what. No matter what. Psalm 118. Psalm chapter 118, verse six. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Our eternal security overrides any concerns this world can hurl at us. Remember what we talked about in in Matthew with the Sermon on the Mount. We can treat others the way that we wish they would treat us, even if they never do. Why? Because all of our good rests in our heavenly Father who gives us every good thing, right? The Father knows how to give good gifts, and he only gives good gifts to his children. Our Father's taking care of us, and it's a Father who only knows how to do good for his children. This concept of chosen and predestination, what it should never do. It should never undermine our unity, and it should never undermine evangelism. Some people would twist these words and think that, um, that in some ways we can boast about understanding these words or reaching a knowledge about these words or, or even boast as a church being a church who doesn't sidestep these words, right? We're not going to let it do that. Uh, We're also not gonna let it undermine our evangelism. It should empower us to share 
knowing that the results are assured. Some people would say, well, if God's chosen things and predetermined things and destined things, then we don't have to do anything because he's just gonna do it, right? Instead, Acts chapter um, 18, verses nine through 10, God tells, uh, I think it's Paul, tells him, um, I need you to do this. I need you not to be scared about going to this city to share the gospel because I have people there who are my people and they need to hear the word so that they can become my people, right? It assures us that evangelism will work. You think about Romans 9 and 11. These are two chapters that are heavy on these ideas of chosen and election and predestination and all this type of stuff. Sandwiched between Romans 9 and 11 is Romans 10, which is all about the need for people to hear the gospel if they are going to be saved, right? Instead, what these words should do is eliminate boasting because our salvation has nothing to do with some value found in us, right? It should grant assurance that we were loved by God and will continue to be loved by God. And then number three, it should lead to holiness. Our response is to worship this God and to follow this God that we see in Ephesians chapter one. We worship him and we follow him. Told you last week, I wanna give you as many identity truths as I can give you in the coming weeks. The things that we see from this chapter today. Number one, every Christian has every spiritual blessing. Every Christian was loved before time began. Every Christian is destined for holiness. And every Christian has God as an adopted father. These are the truths that we can hang our hats on this morning. These are the things that are very clear this morning that offers great security and hope to us as the believer today. By way of application, I wanna take us back to where we were in Matthew chapter seven, resting in God, our father's goodness, towards us with a renewed emphasis on treating others as you wish to be treated, even if you never receive the same treatment back. Rest in your Father's goodness towards you this week with a renewed emphasis on treating others as you wish to be treated. We're supposed to be moving towards holiness and blamelessness because we've been saved, right? Which means like the Sermon on the Mount, all these practical applications we've talked about, these are things that should be driving us during the week. I'm just gonna tell you, since that sermon, I feel like every conflict, every situation I deal with can be tied back to somebody not treating somebody the way that they wish they would be treated. Every kid that comes into my office for disciplinary reasons over the past three weeks, I've had to have a conversation with them. You're in here because you were treating somebody in ways that you would never want them to treat you. Right, like if we could, if we could really live this out, if we could really embrace this, and it would be radically changing I'll close with this verse because I think it parallels so much of what we've seen today in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, right? Every spiritual blessing. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of your sinful desire, right? We're becoming holy and blameless. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, right? Treat others the way that you wanna be treated. 
brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he, was cho- that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, listen to this, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this passage of scripture. Even though it's sometimes hard to understand and hard to work through with some of these concepts, God, because our minds are very finite, they are, they are hard-pressed to think about how you could have life outside of time. But God, we, we rejoice and we rest in the fact that your word tells us we were loved. We were loved by you before we ever did one single thing. And while we at times want to be able to boast that you would love us because of things that we do. God, we are so thankful for the fact that your love is not based on our performance because for every good work that we seek to achieve, there are failures all around it. And God, we're thankful that we don't enter into this adopted relationship with you by our performance and we therefore don't get kicked out for it either. We thank you that Jesus has done all that is necessary to save us. And God, we take great comfort and hope today that you are our adopted father and that we get all the privileges of being born into your family, adopted into your heavenly realm. And God, help us to see that we can leave today and we can lay down to sleep at night and we can encounter anything that, you, that the world throws at us this week. And even if you choose to keep the closet door open, we can rest in the fact that you're our father and you're right there with us and we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear because your love, your love is from eternity past into eternity future. We thank you and praise you for that truth today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.